0: Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle, stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... Studies reveal since 2010, banks have been leaving neighborhoods nationwide at a rate of 0.2%. Now keep that in mind because in majority black neighborhoods, it's 15%. So PNC Bank is rolling out, and I do mean that literally, an alternative to traditional brick and mortar branches. We'll tell you all about that in just a moment. Plus, Atlanta City Council President Doug Shipman has funding concerns regarding MARTA's transit projects for the city.
1: This level of spending on bus enhancements did, ha- did not have to be supported by more MARTA money. In fact, there is a more MARTA surplus that is in the projections for going forward. So clearly you've, MARTA, I don't mean you, but MARTA has made decisions to hold back some of the more MARTA money and not spend it.
0: So we'll dig into all of that. Those conversations coming up. But first, this Georgia State Representative Tish Nagisi has died at the age of 59. That's according to Georgia House leaders. Nagisi was a first term Democrat from Fayetteville, just elected last fall. and She represented parts of Northwest Fayette and South Fulton counties. Minority Leader James Beverly and House Speaker John Burns say their hearts go out to her husband and children. In a st- statement, they called Negisi, who recently fell ill, that it was a sudden loss and a shock. Georgia Senator John Ossoff called Negisi a hardworking and committed community leader and public servant. And we'll have more details later during All Things Considered, hosted by Jim Burrs. In other news, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is criticizing four Republican-led states who are pulling out of a national voter registration database. It's called the Electronic Registration Information Center, also known as ERIC, And it helps states keep voter rolls up to date, as we hear from WABE's Sam Greenglass. More than 30 states participate in ERIC. The database shares information from election offices, DMVs, and the Social Security Administration, allowing states to check their rolls for voters who have died or moved. But now Alabama, Florida, Missouri, and West Virginia want out, inspired mostly by disinformation that's spread since 2020. Raffensperger criticized states who say they want to combat illegal voting, but then abandon, quote, the best and only group able to detect the few voters who try to cast ballots in more than one state. Raffensberger tweeted that exiting ERIC will only make it harder to clean up voter registration lists and undermines voter confidence. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. Georgia Supreme Court Justice Michael Boggs says the state is still trying to climb out of a massive backlog of unresolved court cases caused by delays, of course, during the pandemic. Now, that's what Boggs told lawmakers yesterday in his State of the Judiciary address.
2: Crimes, business disputes, custody battles, resolving the unsettled estates of departed loved ones, those things did not stop simply because of a virus. But make no mistake, the numbers in certain parts of Georgia are truly astounding, and the resolution of these caseloads will not be easy.
0: For example, Boggs says Fulton County has 4,000 indicted felony cases still pending. He says delays like that threaten people's constitutional right to a speedy trial. Boggs also told lawmakers that Georgia's court system has an acute workforce shortage, including for prosecutors and public defenders. A coalition of state lawmakers and county officials, well, they're asking the federal government to investigate Wellstar Health System's closure of Atlanta Medical Center and its East Point Hospital, as we hear from Jess Mador. Wellstar Health System shut down the two hospitals last year, citing financial losses.
1: Both were in majority Black communities. Now, state and county officials have filed two complaints, one with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office
0: for Civil Rights, and the other with the IRS. Democratic Atlanta State Senator Nan Oroch. And Wellstar needs to come to the table with the patient community, with the doctors, the other health care providers, and the public officials, and be prepared to discuss and tangibly contribute to repairing the damage that their action has caused. They allege WellStar's
1: actions were
0: discriminatory. They also want the IRS
1: to investigate whether WellStar still qualifies for nonprofit tax exempt status. WellStar officials say they're evaluating the complaints and preparing a formal response. Jess Mador, WABE News.
0: And in other health and wellness news, Douglas County, just east of Atlanta, says it's launching a program that will coordinate 911 calls with mental health professionals to be dispatched during an emergency, as we hear from Shemaine Cruz. First responders will be teamed with behavioral specialists who have trained with fire and EMS services for months on procedures and protocols. The mental health professionals are also set to follow up with those impacted, including families and bystanders. Dr. Ramona Jackson-Jones, chairwoman of the Douglas County Board of Commissioners, says the program will ensure citizens receive adequate emotional support during an emergency if needed. The county currently has eight behavioral specialists in the field and one at E911. It hopes to add more soon. Last year, the Douglas County 911 Center dealt with more than 400 calls related to suicide. Shemaine Cruz, WABE News. And finally
2: Pack up all my cares and woes here I go I'm singing
0: low that is Brianna Thomas, and if you're wondering, Rose, why are you playing this very talented artist? Well, Jazz at Lincoln Center is hitting the road for a tour, and yes, Atlanta is on the list. Jazz at Lincoln Center presents Songs We Love. It's a celebration of the history of American jazz and its future. Touted as a quote superb ensemble of up and coming players, schooled and tested on the stage of Jazz at Lincoln Center at Lincoln, Lincoln Center and concert halls around the world. Now, artists such as Breonna Thomas will revisit some of those great songs from the first decades of jazz. And if you're wondering when, when they're coming, they're coming to the Rialto Center for the Arts next Saturday, March 18th. Jazz at Lincoln Center presents Songs We Love. You're listening to Closer Look. Back in a moment. Take it away. No one here can love or understand me. What hard luck stories they will always hand me
2: make my bed light the light, and I'll arrive late 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 tonight blackbird bye, bye, bye. support for WABE comes from the Community
0: Foundation for Greater Atlanta if you love Atlanta you can invest in the big picture learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org And Closer Look continues from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. With a few clicks on your cell phone, computer, or tablet, you can send money to just about anywhere and to anyone. I should know. Just ask my nieces and nephews. Technology has changed how we can navigate financial transactions. But let's be clear now, not all have access to said technology. And data reveals mobile banking set at 15.1% in 27 then jumped to 34% in 2019 and moved to 43.5% in 2021. So what does that mean? It means a lot of us use this as a primary method of account access, or again, sending money to your nieces and nephews. And this information comes to the federal from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation's National Survey of Unbanked and Underbanked Households. So when you think of the term mobile banking, obviously, we always think of, yeah, we can grab an app and do that, right? But that's not quite the case in this next situation we're about to talk about. See, PNC Bank is testing out mobile banking with a twist, mobile. The bank recently debuted a 30-foot mobile branch on wheels at Focus Community Strategies inside the Carver Market in South Atlanta. Joining me now to talk more about the mobile branch and how it's expected to expand banking options in particularly communities like particularly underserved and unbanked communities, is Chris Hill. He's a senior vice president and head of PNC's mobile branch program. Chris, welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Let's let's back up a little bit, and and maybe you'll be able to answer this. That's statistics I gave about banks, you know, moving in and out of neighborhoods. Uh, and, and it could be for a number of reasons, because less people are going into branches. Have you all had to look at that data, and has that been a, a decision-making and maybe closing some walk-in branches?
2: Well, there's a lot of data and analysis that goes into those decisions for sure. Um, Not my personal area of expertise at PNC, right? I'm the guy that's putting those services and products on the road. Uh, But I I don't think they target any particular neighborhood. They, you know, I, I do believe the analysis is based on utilization and coverage that we can offer, at least from PNC's perspective, in those geographies, right? We we try not to leave a neighborhood ever mm-hmm. and make sure that we have some options available.
0: Well, let's talk about your role for a moment, because if you are the senior vice president and head of the PNC's mobile branch program, what are you in charge of?
2: Yeah, right. So... Uh, I I, I tell people all the time, uh, I think I have the best job uh, at PNC. Um, What I'm I'm responsible for is the management of our fleet of mobile branches. Mm -hmm. Uh, We currently have 16 of those, uh, and we use them in a variety of strategies and purposes. Uh, We use them for natural disasters. We use them for branch renovations or if a branch goes down, we use them to target uh, the university banking relationships that we have. But the, I think the most innovative approach is what we call our community outreach effort. So uh, as part of PNC's uh, commitment to communities where we do business, right? We mm-hmm. deploy mobile branches, primarily targeting low to moderate income neighborhoods um, as a tool to, to bridge that gap, right? And to make banking even more accessible to those communities that uh, don't have it for a variety of reasons.
0: And this mobile um, branch, You've you've all been around for a while.
2: It's not like you just started this couple of years ago, right? Right. right. We've had mobile branches for over 15 years at PNC. Uh, Back in 2020 was when we launched this community outreach initiative. Uh, And it utilizes these branches in a way that we hadn't done prior. And we really expanded our fleet to do it. It's part of our $88 billion uh, commitment, our community benefits plan, which aims in part to make our products and services more accessible to diverse low and moderate income communities. And what we, you know, our chairman led that charge when he pointed out when he saw one of our uh, newer vehicles and said to the head of retail, you ought to go and find a way to serve these in these, you know, sometimes banking deserts or underserved mm-hmm. communities in a way that other organizations aren't. So that's what we're that's what we're up about and we're doing today.
0: When we talk about unbanked and underbanked mm-hmm. Households and, and folks should know that there is a difference. There is, let's be clear, Chris, there's a cost associated with being unbanked or underbanked. And if you think, well, it's because they don't have a lot of money, but they're also spending more money for other banking options because they are unbanked or underbanked,
2: correct? For sure, for sure. Yeah, there's a, um, I you know, your statistics before aligned to what I saw recently was that 24% of our country's population are unbanked or underbanked. And um, you know, unbanked is, can happen for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. We find in, in the people that we talk to, it's generational and that there's a lack of trust in the banking system. And that can be because at some point in, in their lives, perhaps they started a banking relationship, but whomever, Uh, help them with that, maybe didn't slow down and take the time to explain the ins and the outs and how to use that efficiently and how not to overdraw those accounts. What what we hear a lot of uh, in communities that we're serving is people had a banking relationship or their parents or someone had one, and then they got in that vicious cycle where they might've overdrawn their account. Mm -hmm. And they get to the point where they get a, a black mark, perhaps, on their banking history, and they have no other solution but to go to those alternative means.
0: Mm-hmm. And those alternative okay. means could be the check cashing uh, places. Uh, and I know some states have some have, have in a sense, almost outlawed them by putting some strict regulations. And also now with some uh, these these online uh, debit card related uh, financial, <laughs> I guess you call them financial right. corporations, where you can have your, your check loaded on the card, and, but then there's a cost. It's like a cost for accessing your own money. These are the options that you're talking about. Some of the options that people are forced to turn to when they can't get a traditional checking account.
2: You're absolutely right. And and we aim to try to help people out of that. Uh, and, and, and whether they choose to bank with PNC or not, when we visit these community-based partners, we lead with financial education and wellness. We are not there to get them to bank with PNC, quite honestly. We're there to help them stand them back up on their financial feet a little bit. And that might be teaching them alternatives. Mm-hmm. Let's get How to, to the balance of checkbook. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No,
0: no, no. You're fine. And and I know folks listening. Sometimes I get emails. I was like, well, that should be a no-brainer. But you have to understand, everyone. We all have different lived experiences. So folks need to understand that.
2: Just thought I'd say that, Chris.
0: Let's talk about PNC's mobile branch program because I understand it just launched in Chicago during the pandemic.
2: Yes. Yeah. In fact. Um, so um, you know, our program that we've brought now to Atlanta and we've been doing in Chicago, as you called out. Um, we, we run it on a dedicated circuit through these communities. So we spend time in working in these communities and talking to the community stakeholders and those organizations where they are offering health and human services and outreach to the members of those communities. People are coming through their doors for services, much like focused community strategies, right? And they're offering housing and they're offering subsidized food solutions and a grocery store and a food desert there. Mm -hmm. And we bring our truck on a dedicated basis on a predetermined schedule. And we are there for a period of time and offering yet another service when people are ready for it. Uh, I can't stress enough that uh, we're very soft in our approach because there is a mistrust, a large mistrust. And we want to let people come to us when they're ready. And everyone is in a different part of their journey. So we run, my analogy has always been the bookmobile that I grew up with as a child. Mm -hmm. And I came to our community building every two weeks where I grew up because we did not have a library and my mom would take me down there and get a book every two weeks, Mm -hmm. right? So much like that, we bring banking services and education on wheels in in a dedicated fashion. And we see the same people every on on every circuit. And we come back around and if I don't see you today, or if you don't have time today, that's okay. I'll be back on this date and we can continue our conversation then.
0: Okay. So this, this bank on wheels, in a sense, what does it consist of? I'm looking at a picture here. It looks pretty, pretty,
2: pretty snazzy. I like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, we have a, um, An ATM uh, that uh, accepts deposits and dispenses cash, we can deposit cash or checks into that. And that's how we handle the cash transactions on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And inside the vehicle, we have the ability when the consumer is ready to open accounts uh, in real time. And what that means is that if you and I were to sit down and you were ready to open, if you were ready to open a checking account, that we would do that. And when you walked out the door, we would issue and hand you a debit card on the spot. We would walk you to the ATM. If you made a, de- we would teach you how to make a deposit at that ATM, whether it was cash or check to fund your account. Mm-hmm. And if you put cash in there on your way home and you needed to stop and pick up, a gallon of milk, that debit card is live and ready to go. The power behind that, sorry, uh, one more moment, is that um, we really eliminate the mail fraud issue that happens across all communities and that consumer is set up and ready to go. And that's a differentiator for these communities and well-received.
0: Let me ask you this because Moments ago, when we talked about sometimes the barriers and the circumstances that put folks, households, in, in, through no fault of their own, some, often sometimes. Sure. So are you all a, a little less stringent in terms of the requirements for maybe it's a maybe it's a savings and maybe it's just a, mm-hmm. a certain type of basic checking account? Do you have checking accounts for students or, or for older yes. individuals? Do you have those yes. programs in place? Okay, so you don't hold it uh, against them do. if they don't have we- a great credit rating.
2: We do. We have two products that are um, blessed by BankOn, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And they are, if you will, opportunities for people to repair those histories. Uh, and they the, the intent of those products is to teach them the, the good behaviors and how to do that and repair that, if you will, banking history to then migrate them into what I would say are everyday banking products. They operate just like it, but they have safeguards to make sure that that consumer cannot they they are virtually impossible to overdraw or overdraft and so a short period of time of using that and demonstrating those behaviors and then we migrate you in let me ask to, you this you all yes.
0: you all are going to be inside uh or near the carver market in south atlanta we've been there we've we've actually had community uh events at that at that location it's a wonderful uh, location we love the carver market by the way so how, how often will this bank mobile, <laughs> like the Batmobile. How often will this bank, the PNC Bankmobile be there? And how long do you plan to stay?
2: Yeah, so this is an ongoing, this is not a pilot. This is not a test in Atlanta. This is an extension of PNC's retail distribution, part of our branch network. Uh, we, we plan, we will be in Atlanta, To infinity, right? This is a program that we're putting in these markets and we're not leaving. Uh, We are at Carver Market uh, weekly, actually, uh, based on the demands that they had and the opportunity that they presented. Uh, And you'll find us there on a weekly basis, uh, visiting that partner and engaging those consumers.
0: Now, Chris, on this program, I've heard folks say, we love Atlanta. We plan to stay. And then they stay. (laughs) I know there are things y'all can't control. But you said you're committed
2: to this, yeah. to being yeah. in this so community. So let me go back to Chicago. Let me go back okay. to Chicago. go back example. to Chicago. We launched, we launched in uh, t- right in the middle of COVID. And uh, the partners we had visited prior to COVID were these community-based organizations were thriving and up and running. And none of us could have predicted that pandemic. Uh, but we remained there for our committed time with those partners who all went hybrid so there we were in their parking lots. But it was our word that we said we would continue to serve those communities. And we we stuck it out. We were there in some of them for 18 months. Mm-hmm. We have since gone to organizations. If they didn't reopen, it was hard for us to be successful and have mm-hmm. conversations. Um, I, I, you know, I... Can I can I can I sign in blood that we're staying forever? I think I can because mm-hmm. of the commitment from our organization. Can things change? Certainly, conditions can change, but Atlanta has tremendous opportunity, and we see a, a, a gap to fill there. Mm-hmm. Right, all around your your city is pretty amazing. Uh, I, I don't live in Atlanta personally, but. Um, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time there and there's a ton of opportunity and need. So we're really looking forward to filling that need and continuing. We've hired four dedicated employees. This is their job Monday Mm -hmm. through Friday. Uh, they are the same faces. They represent the communities we were served. Many of them live in those communities. We've recruited from within those communities because they resonate and connect with members in a much way, better way than others could.
0: And I have a question from a listeners who says, so I can go there today and the the bank will be there. Is that true? Is it there right now? Is it
2: coming? Uh, it is, uh, today, it, they were there this morning. Right. Uh, they were there this morning on a dedicated route. And if you stop into... Uh, Focus Community Strategies or Carver Market. They know when we're coming mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's it's published there and for that community to be aware of.
0: So will you have different hours on different days or will there be? A, a, yes. Know? Okay. Yeah.
2: So, so each community uh, partner that we work with, we also work with Families First. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're familiar with them, we're I working am. with St. Vin- Vincent de Paul mm-hmm. um, and two of their sites. And each each partner, as you know, their traffic flow varies by day of week and time of day. Mm-hmm. And we try to match our visits to when they have the most traffic coming through their sites because we feel we can make the greatest impact.
0: And, Chris, as we be- so, begin to wrap up, and, and you're expanding this, and this is in Atlanta, but I'm curious too, because even for some households, it, it may not be that they're under bank or, or unbanked. They just may live in a rural community where just they've got to travel 50 miles to the nearest bank. Are you all looking at what you can do in, in, the, in the rural parts of not just Georgia, but the nation as well? Or do you have? We
2: are. Yeah, we haven't done that yet. We've looked long and hard at that. What, what we're trying to do, though, is it's an investment on our organization to operate this purchase, operate staff this vehicle. Mm -hmm. And we do the best work when we can be not driving the vehicle, but shoulder to shoulder with community members. Mm -hmm. So we work very hard to spend less time driving and more time serving. And rural communities really challenge us in how to make that model work. But Mm -hmm. we are an active uh, analysis of those opportunities. We have many of them within our footprint to serve and trying to figure out a way to crack that crack that. We haven't done it. We haven't figured it out yet, but it's on the list.
0: Any more areas in Atlanta proper that you're looking at?
2: Uh, well, we have capacity on uh, with the truck that we have running there right now. Mm-hmm. We are uh, actively filling our calendar, if you will, of of year-round committed partners that we could visit. Um, we have a, a good bit of capacity still to fill, and we look forward to that to filling that.
0: All right, Chris Heal, senior vice president. And head of PNC's Mobile Branch Program. And again, that PNC Mobile Branch will be located at Carver Market in South, South Atlanta. You all know where that is. And for more information, we'll have a link on our website to PNC as well. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
2: I appreciate the opportunity. Have a nice day. Thank you.
0: Take care. And Closer look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Earlier this month, MARTA released a revised list of priority projects for the City of Atlanta. Now these fall under the more MARTA from the sales tax money that was that voters approved back in November of 2016. MARTA, of course, the state's largest transit system, highlighted nine expansion programs. These are like Tier One with a 2028 deadline. Now last week, Atlanta City Council President Doug Shipman. Let a line of questioning to MARTA officials regarding funding for these enhancements.
1: This level of spending on bus enhancements did, ha- did not have to be supported by more MARTA money. In fact, there is a more MARTA surplus that is in the projections for going forward. So clearly you've, MARTA, I don't mean you, but MARTA has made decisions to hold back some of the more MARTA money and not spend it. You could have held back more of the more MARTA money related to bus enhancements and spent other sources, but this is the mix that we have. So the the answer, I guess, is, you know, should we have spent money that we could have used for the entire system, including those portions of it in Fulton, DeKalb, Clayton, to benefit the city of Atlanta instead of to provide the service that they asked for instead of using the money that was programmed by the half penny? And that's where we run into the issue is that we have to treat it as an entire system. And so we can't take from one pocket and put it in the other pocket without having an explanation.
0: I have a slightly different perspective. Which we'll get to in a moment. By the way, that exchange was between City Council President Doug Shipman and Peter J. Andrews, who's the chief legal counsel for MARTA. So let's see Council President Shipman's different perspective as he joins me now in studio. First, welcome. Thank you, Rose. Always good to be here. Good to see you. And we want to note that Closer Look reached out to Marta to schedule an interview with General Manager and CEO Collie Greenwood through a spokesperson we received the following, quote, I spoke with Mr. Greenwood and he is limiting interviews and appearances at the moment as his calendar is extremely full. I would like to kindly request we arrange an interview with Rose at a later date, close quote, and it's and as recently as earlier today, a spokesperson informed me that a date would be worked out for CEO Greenwood to appear on the program. So now, President Shipman, before we get into your concerns, I want to bring listeners into what all of this is about. First of all, let's begin with more MARTA Atlanta. This was approved back in 2016, I believe. This is a half penny sales tax uh, exclusively for projects in the city of Atlanta. That's right. So this was on the heels of a failed regional
1: uh Uh, vote that took place and so Atlanta at the time said we should do our own we should focus on transit Um, you mean the
0: regional back in 2012 that's exactly right which failed miserably that's
1: exactly right it was terrible voters across the region said they said "Uh uh-uh no yeah so Atlanta said let's do our own let's focus on our own transit projects. so in 2016 this was passed there were about 70 projects on the initial list we knew those could not all be funded at the time so that list was cut down to 17 so now and then board approved and then revised now, currently at nine. That's correct. Nine tier one projects with uh, a near term uh, timeline. But of those nine, seven look to be clearly fully funded by more MARTA. Two, the Campbellton Road project and the Clifton
0: Corridor, both need federal funding. Okay. Now hold that for a second because I want to go back. How much money are we talking about? I mean, I, I, I read all this here and it's a lot. Y'all love paper. You, MARTA, all the city, y'all love paper. Uh, so now how much money are we talking about that is available? Is it easy to break that down for the listeners? So initially when the the uh,
1: approval happened, it was estimated to be $2.4 billion over 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you start to add in operating revenue, once you get new projects up and running, it would be a little more than that. But the the basic amount is $2.4 billion, And so far, about 10% of that or so has been spent. So
0: 2.4 billion is that from the half penny sales tax? That's right. That does not include any potential or available federal. That's correct. Okay. Now, but so is there additional money federal that's allocated for more just more MARTA, not anybody else? It's been about 50 million in uh, more MARTA related money that has come through
1: from the state or from federal sources thus far. So potentially a mix.
0: That's right. All right. Now, this has always been touted as a partnership between MARTA and the city. So I want our listeners to understand the process, present shipment, for approving these tiered projects. MARTA has released it earlier this month, so clearly it starts with them. Or are there conversations before they say, hey, we want to, before we go public with this? There's always public input, which is how they went from 70 to 17 to
1: 9. There's something called an IGA, an intergovernmental agreement. Mm-hmm. It exists between MARTA and the city. It spells out how the oversight looks for the more MARTA program. And in essence, there is a committee that is made up of representatives of the mayor's office and of MARTA Mm -hmm. that oversees and approves the projects. Ultimately, the MARTA board has the final authority. That is clear. So in essence, the mayor's office has input and to some extent has a kind of an unofficial veto power over the projects, but ultimately marta is marta's board approves the project and has to deliver the project city council has a role because marta reports to us mm-hmm. on the more marta pro, uh, uh, programs and generally about their uh what their operations are in atlanta but the real approval process is between the mayor's office and marta
0: okay and i just want to quickly go over these projects this is the top nine the summer hill bus rapid transit it's a BRT line cleveland avenue uh Rapid Transit, Metropolitan Parkway, Bankhead Station Expansion, Streetcar East Extension to Ponce city Market, Light Rail Line. Here come the emails. Five Point Station Renovation and Expansion, Campbellton Road, which is also Rapid, Bus Rapid, Greenbriar Transit Center, and Clifton Corridor. That's right. Are And are you here representing the city? This is what the city believes is some issues as we get into it, or is this Doug Shipman, president, or Doug He's, Shipman who
1: takes MARTA? This is this is Doug Shipman, president of city council, and also Doug Shipman, who takes a lot of MARTA. Okay. Do you have any issue with any of the
0: projects being a tier one that I went through?
1: So I don't particularly have an issue with the nine that are on the list. Um, I do think there are some questions about how much is being spent on some. For instance, the Five Points MARTA station has a total budget of about $260 million currently. Mm-hmm. About $205 million of that comes from more MARTA. Um, My colleagues, uh, council members Farroki and Dozier, have both raised significant concerns, uh, as have some of the downtown stakeholders, around spending at that level for the Five Points Marta station when there are other stations that need improvements. So I think that's a question. And then there has long been a question, as you alluded to, uh, both Clifton Corridor and Campbellton Road were both originally light rail transit Mm -hmm. projects. They are now bus rapid transit. And for those who don't know, bus rapid transit is a bus, but it's in a dedicated lane. Mm -hmm. So it moves more quickly than a bus does in traffic. And so my issue is really not around the project list per se. My concern is twofold. One, I'm concerned about how much we're spending and can we deliver these projects, given that we have not seen any of the projects move forward very quickly Mm -hmm. since this has been passed. And two, how much are we going to have for those other eight projects and beyond, I'm concerned that we may be spending almost all of our money
0: now to do just these projects. Is it, But you're not necessarily saying it's too much on bus rapid transit. So I, I or, would or, like to see
1: more rail in Atlanta because I think that rail, it is expensive, but for the long term, it usually has higher ridership than BRT. It usually sparks more development than BRT. And so I would like to see more rail. It, as a general view, and this is where the mayor and I are completely aligned. He's talked about Beltline Rail. He's talked about rail more broadly. I'm completely aligned with that perspective. But on this project list, I think the more fundamental question is, can we deliver it? How much is it going to cost? And how much money are we going to have for other things
0: later on? You asked MARTA, General Manager and CEO, Collie Greenwood, if the cost of bus enhancements so far would impact funding for the another project or could have been added or another project been added. His answer basically was perhaps, he didn't say yes or no, he said it, it's possible. So what does it say to you? Do you think that maybe MARTA did not make, they, they could have made better decisions? So
1: let's go back to, in 2018, there's a letter that was from uh, then-CEO Jeff Parker to Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms mm-hmm. that said, here is how we believe the big buckets of the $2.4 billion will be spent, $238 million was was estimated for bus enhancements this is either expansion to existing bus or just a bus operating enhancements 238 million over 40 years mm-hmm. so far marta has spent 181 million already on bus enhancements and bus expansion and we actually see that we have less bus miles being run today than we did back in 2018 so i think there's a fundamental question we have invested a lot more than expected in bus I'm not sure that that was ever really flagged and worked through the process that's set up, and now there's no question that we have less to spend on capital, given those bus enhancements. In that
0: IGA mm-hmm. that you mentioned, does it specify in terms of what can be used with from this, from the sales tax, from the more ma- more MARTA, in terms of operation enhancements, light rail, all of that? All Is of those it clearly. Things?
1: detailed. All of those things are available. It is not detailed. The project list itself is what is supposed to be the oversight. Mm-hmm. And and the the complicating factor here is the the initial decisions around bus enhancements were made in 2018 before there was a clear process around how changes were going to be made. That was in the updated 2020 IGA. So so part of the issue is we got here I think in part because there was not as robust a process as there should have been for transparency and for raising the flag to say, hey, we're, we're spending over here, so we can't, you know, potentially spend over there later on. Whose fault is that? Well, I think it, it probably lies with both MARTA and the city.
0: Yeah, I think people extent. listening would agree to that. There's no
1: question. That, and, I, and you know, I was not on council, and so that's one reason why I'm trying to be make sure that we have very strong transparency. Here's why. Voters voted to see projects done. And if we don't deliver, voters are going to say, I'm not sure that I want to ever, you know, vote
0: for these things again. But MARTA has had, they've, they've, yeah I'm not obviously a MARTA spokesperson, but they've had public input, Mm -hmm. these public community forums. You all go to them. I feel like I get an email every other day from MARTA. The transparency you're talking about has been on the back end. I think the transparency has been
1: on um, trying to get community engagement around specific projects. Where is the route going to be for Campbellton Road? What's it going to look like? I don't think there's been nearly as much transparency as there should have been around how much money are we spending right now? How much money do we think we have left?
0: What are the the trade offs that we're making around this project list? Is there an issue, or concern rather for you, and that there's an equity issue because Hamilton Road folks, they I know because I get their emails, they have been wanting, they wanted rail. They've been wanting some rail over there. And let's be clear, you can't drive anywhere in Atlanta and not have congestion or traffic. Right. But goodness, the transit universe, they love picking on Camelton. <laughs> Light rail, one would argue, would be should have been ideal for them, and it should be a major priority, not bus.
1: There's no question that there are questions of equity, and there should continue to be questions of equity. Where we've invested in the past, where we haven't invested in the past— and look, good transit policy should do three things. One, it should move people, right? It should get people from point A to point B for their job, for their school, for whatever they need to go to. Mm-hmm. Two, it ought to help development. It ought to actually spur good development, in, in many ways, dense development. And three, it should fundamentally help the city, generally speaking, be a more livable place, right? And so I think, you know, Campbellton Road is a good example of both the first two. It can move people. A lot of people move up and down Campbellton Road already. Mm -hmm. And two, it has the potential to spur development
0: in an area of town that has not seen as much development as it should have. And you should set it, and then third was to help the city overall. Yep. Well, let me back up here because if we're talking about moving people, folks will say, well, some folks will say, well, moving people efficiently, not having to wait 45 minutes for a bus and perhaps there's no bus shelter and perhaps there's no sidewalk to wait for said bus, or I have to walk an additional half mile because said bus route was eliminated. (laughs) There is a lot in there. That's right. And that's why it's perplexing when you look at
1: the bus enhancements, we don't actually have more bus miles run. It'd be one thing if we looked at this and said, look, there have been a lot of investments over time, and we've increased our bus miles run by thirty percent. Okay, we've increased our investment. We've increased our bus miles run. We actually have fewer bus miles run over the last few years, though we've continued to make these investments. And mm-hmm. let me just say one other piece, which you you uh, alluded to in that clip, MARTA overall has been very financially healthy. MARTA has a annual surplus in their budget because of the way MARTA is funded. So it's also a question. About how funds are flowing to Atlanta specifically, and how funds are flowing. But to But that the was the whole system.
0: purpose of the more Marta to begin with, so you would ensure that funding was coming to Atlanta. So are you? I want you to be very clear here, President Shipman. Are you saying that then that there is some fancy mathematics going on, or is it not coming? That that money is not coming to. Atlanta, what are you alleging?
1: I am I am trying to raise the question to understand. In a time where we have seen a lot of federal funding flow to the whole system, where we have seen tax uh, the general tax revenues for MARTA mm-hmm. be very healthy, and we have seen over They took a bit of a hit during the pandemic. Yeah, I don't but, know how much, but they took but a bit. A little bit of and a they hit. Got, but,
0: and they got funding for that, too.
1: But they've they've continued to run surpluses. And now we have a situation where we've gone from a 17-project list to a 9-project list. And when you really dig into the numbers, this may, be, this may be you know, a lot of, if not all of, what we get from more MARTA. I think you have to raise the question not only about the more MARTA project, but how more MARTA fits into the overall MARTA finances.
0: So what do you, what do you want to see
1: happen? Do you want to go in and look in their books? What do you want? So I would like to see a couple of things. I would like to see an audit of more MARTA. I would like to see that program so that we understand how decisions were made and how the funds have flowed. I also would like there to be a consideration that some of the bus operation and bus expansion money that has been spent before, actually some of that come back into the more MARTA capital pool. For another
0: project, Correct. potentially? For another project or for... Or but how for, much? Because all these projects are expensive. And we talk about sure. light rail, President shipment it's not... And I know that I've once read, I don't know if it's true, when it comes to heavy rail, you're looking at a, a whole lot of money per mile. Yeah, it's like $30 million a mile. or. So two, I can only. So I don't know what it's like for light rail. but And also, too, as I'm getting emails here, understand that people need, as you call it, moving people. They need to be moved now. So wait until 2028. Agreed. doesn't work for some people. Agreed. So if we're going to spend on bus operations, we need to
1: see the we need to see the fruits of that. And if we're not going to spend on bus operations, then we need to see that invested in capital. Look, of the 180 million that we've seen, I mean, I think I think that we should look at some percentage, some significant percentage of that potentially coming back into more MARTA so that we can fund other things. Like what? I would like to see us fund bus. Uh, I would like to see us fund uh, station improvements. In a number of places around the city, we've seen the stations need basic things, elevators, so that they're, they're more accessible. They need to see bathrooms. We need to see those kinds of investments. We also need to see, to your point, <clears throat> we need to see improvements around those stations. I would also like to see us um, potentially consider uh, looking at other projects that would expand the network, whether it be BRT or LRT. Outside of the city of Atlanta? No, within the city of it, Atlanta, okay. but for instance, infill stations. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of talk on Murphy Crossing. You've talked about it on this show. Mm-hmm. If you were to put an infill station that's a station on the existing line, right, that could catalyze not only that area, but it could make it more affordable because then you would have Murphy Crossing, as it develops, having re- immediate access to the to the rail line.
0: I have a listener who wants to know your thoughts. Is there a way that the Beltline could be more of a friend for Marta, and, and I, I can't answer this, but I, I I always thought that y'all, y'all were going to work in tangent together. So, the belt. That, you know, because I listen, someone who has been on this show a million times. He's probably listening. Ryan Gravel swears up and down that and he tells me this every time I talk to him. Rose, we can do light. We can do light rail on the belt line. OK, again, but when it, what, 2050? I might be an old folks home for public radio people by and I don't know. I didn't know there was such a thing. That might be. Um, the, uh, the Beltline
1: is actually a part of the IGA, so it doesn't have a, a vote per se, but mm-hmm. it is a part of that process because more MARTA was connected with Beltline transit from the very beginning. Um, so I do think that, that there is work between, uh, that happens every day between MARTA and the Beltline and the streetcar expansion, which is on the list does not need f- federal funding. Um, that would put transit on that section of the Beltline mm-hmm. from,
0: uh, Irwin, uh, all the way up Saw to the city market. So based on everything you just said, mm-hmm. how optimistic are you that MARTA will say, well, OK, we're going to allow an audit? I mean, because, again, you have a major, major agency here. who You're not accusing them of something. Nope. I don't know. Are you? But I can understand if they're like, well, look, we we we're, we've been transparent with you all and we're supposed to be working together. So, you know. Fundamentally, every week I get
1: emails and calls into my office of folks that are concerned about I voted for more MARTA. I can't see it coming. I can't see the tangible progress, and I'm worried it won't happen. And so I think in order to make sure that we have trust with our voters, our residents, MARTA's customers, I think we have to be completely open about this. So I'm, I'm hopeful for two things. One, I'm hopeful that on an ongoing basis, MARTA will be very clear when timelines shift, when budgets shift, mm-hmm. that'll just say, hey, here's what's going on so that we all know and our expectations are aligned. And I hope that we will delve a little more deeply into where we've been with more MARTA.
0: Because on this More MARTA Atlanta fact sheet, one of the very, the very last line here is, the More MARTA Atlanta program is governed by a partnership between MARTA and the City of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So partnership. So y'all need to be able to find a way to work it out. Exactly. Basically.
1: And I think. And I think. Look, I think that this conversation we've gotten more data around More MARTA in the last year than we've ever had. That's good. That's transparent, and I appreciate that from MARTA. I'll, I'll tell you what else I appreciate. At the end of that meeting the other day. Mm-hmm. I asked CEO Greenwood. I said, "Look, every agency, every company has struggled with labor. Do you have the people you need right now to deliver this list? They probably don't." And he said, "No." And I said, "That's that's great. That's the kind of transparency we need. And 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 maybe we can find a way to be helpful with that. But that to me is what we need to be delivering to residents.
0: We need that level of openness." Atlanta City Council President Doug Shipman, as always, we appreciate you taking the time. And again, we will have. Martyr General Manager CEO Conley Greenwood on the show in the near future, as I was promised this morning. So you'll hear everybody's side. Thanks, Rose. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Daniel Raisel and Lashawn Hudson. Our supervising producer is Tiffany Griffith. Our engineer is Sawyer Vanderworth. A reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And specifically for today, I want to know, what do you think about all of this? Are you happy with Marta? Would you like to see light rail, heavy rail, more bus, less bus? Let me know, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's show, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.